When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Good gardening to you and your plant world, whether those plants are inside or out. If you have any success stories you'd like to share, maybe questions, concerns, comments, confusion, wanting recommendations or actions to be taken, simply call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let me share what I saw this morning. My good gardening drive. I didn't stroll. I was wimpy. I couldn't do it. It was just a little bit too cold. But it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. It was just driving from South City here to the station, which is downtown basically at Olive and Market and all those other streets that are right around here. And uh, anyway... It's so nice to see some evergreens, and the evergreens are really, even with this brutal weather, the conifers, the evergreens, that the pine trees basically, and the junipers and things, they're looking a lot better. Some of the broadleaf evergreens are really kind of suffering, especially the boxwood. They're really getting a lot of brown, brownish type foliage on them, so that's not so good for them. They're not really happy about all that. But it was just kind of nice to see, you know, some green. Green is so important. As I look out the window here, there's, as I'm looking west on Olive near the Soldier's Memorial, there's no evergreens at all that I see. It's just uh, scary trees, those poor deciduous trees. But anyway... We can discuss what's impacting your outdoors, whether it's trees, shrubs, or herbaceous perennials, annuals. Uh, no annuals surviving after this. Even those cool season pansies and uh, toad flax and things like that. Nope, they said we can't handle this temperatures. And how's your lawn doing? Your ground covers, maybe a growing medium, what type you should be using. And should you be worried about any kind of insects on your houseplants? Yes, they can do some damage to it. Uh, suspicious growth or spots. Is it time to go out and do some pruning? And uh, hmm, maybe take a look around at your houseplants and see how they're doing. Are you getting brown tips on some of the foliage? Well, I'll be talking about that in a little bit. I'll share my knowledge to help you make a good decision on what action is needed, if any. 
and it's for you to consider. Remember, this is your show, and I enjoy hearing about your plants. Drew's here. He's today's producer and very important player in the game. I'm Mike Miller, hosting the Garden Hotline since, actually, February of 1994. If you'd like for me to come to your home and check out your plant world, make some recommendations for different kinds of plants or what's going on with this or why is this getting this and what's happening, you can contact me and go to my website. Uh, Except my website is down right now. Oh, things are so screwy. Anyway, you can contact me and uh, we'll get together and set up a time and date for me to come out to your home. So if you do have any questions and concerns, we do have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. When you call in, all Drew needs is your first name. Then I'll get it up on the caller screen, and then we'll just go from there. So we'll be back after these messages. Let me take you down. Folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with any kind of questions, concerns, or comments you may have related to cold weather. And, man, that wind is whipping the... uh, What kind of flag is that? Missouri flag on the backside of the Soldier's Memorial. So the temperature is bad, but the wind chill is adding to it. But thank goodness for the sun. Let's head over to Jason's yard. Hi, Jason. Hey, good morning, Mike. I had a lot of work done in the late summer and fall around my home, and it's damaged the yard. So I'm going to grade it out. What's your recommendation on uh, probably something to do with St. Louis composting, right? And then uh, when should I seed and straw? Uh, I kind of stay away from the straw. Sometimes uh, that can be more detrimental than good. But... uh, yeah, adding, you know, doing some core aeration if you're talking about lawn areas. Now, that won't necessarily, you're not going to do that where you have ground covers or perennials or something like that. But then just follow that with some uh, some St. Louis composting, compost, and you just spread it out over the top of the areas where you've done the core aeration. And no straw necessary. No. The straw really... Can if you don't get it down right, it can cause more trouble than good for germinating seed because it can create a too an environment that's too humid, and then the seed gets problems with fungus. When could I do this, Mike? Uh, you're gonna have to wait for a couple of weeks because the ground's frozen now. So I would say probably closer to Valentine's Day. Okay, well, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. So we got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Lift tip burn is not a disease on your houseplants. What this means, it's caused by such things as fungus, bacteria, or virus. So rather than being, you know, it's a plant disorder, a disease It is a disease. No, it's not a disease. What it is is usually it's excessive fertilizer application, improper watering as far as timing and everything else, and fluoride toxicity. 
And uh, that's, you know, something that's really true. Uh, once the tip of a leaf burns, there's no way for it to return to a normal appearance. So you can cut it off, but it'll never look right or never look the same. And while clipping off the dead portion of the leaf is one possibility, preventing tip burn is more logical and a practical alternative. First, fertilize your houseplants according to recommendations found on the label of your fertilizer package. But I say what you should do is do half of what the fertilizer package says and maybe fertilize a little bit more often, but half the amount is going to be prevent the salt buildup. Most houseplants grow very slowly and need relatively little fertilizer. That's why I'm saying half the amount, especially compared to houseplants versus outdoor plants. And during the winter months when uh, authorities recommend to not apply any fertilizer to houseplants, that doesn't really fit right. If you're getting uh, any kind of flowering at all, then you should go ahead and fertilize. But uh, do not let these fertilizer salts build up in the growing medium. That's where the real, you know, some real trouble can come in. So I'll continue this a little bit more. And while more houseplants are killed by, from overwatering than any other cause, do not allow your plants to get too dry because that can be, tr- you know, detrimental too. If they lose, you know, water but not uh, fertilizer salts, then the salts, the soil solution tends to, or, you know, salt, salt, salinity continues and the root zone gets real trouble. So that's what the tip burn on most house plants is a result of is fertilizer, the salts that are just inherent and with fertilizing just in general. So just keep your house plants, you know, evenly moist and not wet. Let's head over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Good morning. Good morning. I have a wildflower patch I planted. It's about 40 feet by 40 feet. Uh, and when I'm, I've already got the seed planted. I followed the instructions, said plant it in the fall after the first frost and just push the seeds into the top of the prepared ground. And what I'm concerned about is in the how do I manage that after it comes up next year and blooms? And then should I wait till it dries out and burn it or? cut it or something to control all the weeds that'll probably try to be coming up in there. Yeah, it's going to, weed control is going to be really difficult, but what I would do is, unless you know specifically what these plants are, I would see, I would say for the first two or three years, just let everything go. And if you see some plants that have come up that you know that are weeds, just hand dig those and everything else just let them go because you want to have the seeds from the, you know, from the wildflowers to be able to drop and to be able to survive. So if you do too much, you could actually prevent that from happening. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. Uh, So after about three years, would it be better to burn it off, which I can do safely where it's at or cut it? Um, Let it yeah, again, I would probably just leave it as long as you possibly can. And uh, I would say burning is not something I would do because it may actually damage the seeds. And uh, so I would say uh, just leave it alone, to be honest. Okay. All righty. 
Okay, sounds good. I guess I just need to go in there and selectively remove any trees that try to grow in there. But Right. Okay, and then weeds that I know are weeds. Exactly. And the other things, when a weed is a weed, that's only because we're calling it a weed, because a weed can be a wildflower in its own way. All right. Looks like I'm going to have to learn some, a few things. Yeah. Well, not a few, but yes, yeah, some. Okay, sounds good. That's that's what I was wondering. Thank. I didn't know if I had to do everything once a year or not. No, that no, answer. especially not the first few years as things get established. Sounds like a plan. Yes. All right. Thank you. Enjoy your show. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show. All righty. <laughs> And let's see, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You know, as I've talked about before, related to the the wildflowers and things the gentleman was speaking of, bees are really a very important part of the whole wildflower world. And, you know, the honeybees and the other bees are – they're really kind of going downhill. And the reason for that is there's a combination of habitat loss, parasites such as mites, diseases, including bacteria and viruses, and pesticide exposure. So insecticides can really have a detrimental impact, even though you're not spraying them necessarily right onto the bees. And the pollinators in many ways... It affects their orientation. It affects their feeding behaviors, ability to reproduce, and increase their susceptibility to diseases. So that's what, even though it's an insecticide, it has you know, a lot of detrimental you know, impacts. And for a pollinator conservation, the most important thing a homeowner can do is simply apply pesticides to plants or do not apply pesticides to any kind of plant that has open flowers and encourage the pollinators presence should plant a variety of plants from different bloom colors and shapes of flowers at different times throughout the growing season. This will provide continuous food, nectar and pollen and sources of native or nesting habitats for a, you know, certain insect pollinators, not just the honeybees. And when utilizing you know, turf grass insecticides, several practical measures should be done. And the beneficial insects, you know, just be careful. And mow all the areas before applying any kind of insecticide to remove most of the weed flowers. And that reduces, you know, the bees coming into this, you know, to the, the circumstance. And remember that insecticides can be used as a last resort for managing insect pests. Maintain visual appeal and everything else. So just kind of be conscious of that, that uh, the, the bees are really important. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. 
Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. If you've checked out the uh, internet lately, and uh, Drew was just looking at something related to this, that this year is going to be a horrible year for cicadas. And... This not only the screaming, but also the cicadas do damage to a lot of woody plant material as they rut and lay eggs into that. What that co- does cause is that twig to fall to the ground because of the rutting that they've done to the bark. And then that's way the eggs that are in there are down at ground level. So then they, as soon as they hatch, they go straight down into the ground and become a grub, not the let's say, the hassle grub that we all, you know, know, but still, you know, a beetle or a grub does damage to the root system of plant materials, and that's, you know, something that's really important. So not only this, like I said, the screaming, which can drive you kind of crazy, but uh, the damage that the, all the twigs, you know, falling from the trees does damage to the actual tree, just by reducing the leaf count, but uh, also by simply, uh, you know, getting more more grubs in the ground. Well, let's head over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello, Bill. Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Yes. You got me. Okay. Hey, I got a an old uh, viburnum shrub that's about uh, like a nine-foot globe shape. And uh, I was wondering, is there a benefit in trimming these things back ever? Well, not really. I mean, sometimes it can stimulate some new growth, but uh, you know, yeah. by is this one that prunes in the or prunes? Is this one that blooms in the uh, springtime or the summer? Yeah, kind of. Kind of, I would call it late spring. Yeah. Uh, the little snowball kind of deals. Um, yeah, it just blooms on the upper hemisphere. Right. Uh, no, no. And that's I pretty much going to happen regardless. So cutting it back is not going to be to the advantage of the shrub, unfortunately. Okay. okay. Well, and then uh, basically what it does is eliminate the, you know, the flowering factor for at least one season, if not two flowering seasons. Oh, I see. Okay. Hey, are you going to do any remote shows out at a garden center? I don't know. Yeah, that's the sales staff are the ones that schedule those. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure.
and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open. So other things that uh, you need to be thinking about, yeah, I wish I would do. I used to do so many remotes and then the engineering staff and a couple other things uh, you know, have really changed since uh, Odyssey took over the station. So, But that's just kind of the way it goes. And then one thing about wood ashes, if you have a fireplace, that's great, but wood ashes, sprinkling on your any area doesn't really help soil structure. And chemically, it has calcium, phosphorus, and potassium, or potash. So before doing any spreading of wood ashes out of your fireplace, you need to get your soil tested first because if you don't test it, you may be adding to the problem, especially with the you know potassium, potash, and phosphorus because uh, extreme level of those two chemicals in your ground regardless if it's where your lawn is, whether it's perennials or anything else, does create a real wild problem. And a recent study has, you know, sort of worldwide spiders consume 400 to 800 million metric tons of different kinds of insects. So it's just kind of amazing. 90% of the invertebrates, the insects, and, you know, are going to be damaging type insects, but not all of them are going to be. So spiders, you know, you don't think of them doing something really good, but uh, they certainly can. Let me see. what I, Is that Jim? Oh, Lynn. Sorry. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. Good. Great. Uh, hey, I sure appreciate the information about the MoDot or MoBot.org. Very great website there. Also wanted to ask you about uh, fleas and gnats. I moved the, the plants, a lot of plants in the basement, and uh, the fleas and gnats are there. And I thought you told a, a lady a couple weeks ago about an insecticide. You started talking about that. And I, I didn't know if it was neem oil. I didn't really understand you. So that's all I've got, Mike, and I'll hang up and listen online. Okay, that's fine. So, yeah, you can use neem oil or you can use an insecticidal soap. And uh, just mix it up and just pour it into the, you know, with a regular basis as far as moisture. Don't put too much extra, let's say, moisture related to that. But, yeah, the fungus gnats live in a top surface and there's really, I don't know if you, what kind of fleas it would, you know, other than probably it's just a different kind of gnat because fleas, I don't think, really have the ability to survive on um, plant material. They can be there, but uh, survivability may be limited. But, yeah, insecticidal soap works very well. Neem oil works very well. And just pour it onto the surface of the soil because that's where, the larvae of the regardless of what kind of insecticide is problematic. And then if you start to find that you're having, you know, insects on the foliage, then you're going to have to take a little bit of a different approach and go after them on the stems or, or leaves or whatever of the plant material. So that's certainly a way to go about doing it. And uh, other things that you need to be, you know, yeah, the Missouri Botanical Garden website is absolutely fantastic. And uh, one of the most common weeds in this region is Creeping Charlie. 
It's also known as ground ivy. It's a perennial evergreen creeper with scalloped leaves. And uh, on the, it's a member of the mint family, uh, meaning the stems are square, and they have a light blue purplish flower in late spring, early summer. It's native to Missouri. It spreads by seed and creeping stems both. And the roots were and it roots wherever the stems actually touch the ground. That's <laughs> kind of amazing. It's most aggressive in moist, shady areas, but can tolerate and spread in sunny locations also. It was used to <laughs> brew beer way, way, way back when. And it spreads by these rhizomes and the seeds, and they form a really thick, dense mat, and it almost suffocates and smothers other vegetation, including lawn. So fall is the best time to apply an herbicide for Creeping Charlie, and that's the same with a lot of the broadleaf weeds. And uh, when the springtime rolls around, it will work early in the season better than later on because they get this, like, waxy cuticle on the surface of the foliage, and that kind of prevents the uh, herbicide from being absorbed. And it's so flat and low to the ground that uh, a lot of kind of a lot of weeds you can control by mowing first, and then applying the herbicide right after that because it opens up wounds in the foliage. And uh, just make sure that you know what you're going after, and you're not going to impact that the other broadleaf plants that are not, let's say, creeping Charlie or not weeds. So. Another thing, too, with the Creeping Charlie, if you do pull it out or dig it up out of the ground, the entire stem, do not throw it in a compost pile because it is known to be able to survive in a compost pile. So it can come back with vengeance. So just watch out about you know trying to get the Creeping Charlie under control. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Needle leaf and evergreen trees and shrubs, the conifers, should be observed very carefully to detect any kind of drought injury. The thin needles do not lose as much water as fast as broadleaf, let's say broadleaf weeds, even on deciduous ones. So the evergreens may appear to be surviving quite well, but without adequate soil moisture, Damage could be occurring, and you're not even being conscious of it. So the older needle, needles may begin to drop, you know, while the shallow roots are also dying in dry soil. So we always think of, well, evergreens, especially like junipers, which you see growing along the highways and everything else, may appear to be surviving quite well, but suddenly dies. And that's because of the drought conditions have been going on for a couple months, and you haven't been conscious of that. So the stress is caused by the drought apparently starts the cycle of decline, which some plants are never able to recover. That's, you know, the kind of sad part. And so it may have been over a a considerable amount of time, but it's going to be, you know, so just watch out. You don't want to overwater, but you want to make sure that when we have those extended dry periods, like we did this past summer, we had several weeks in a row with no rainfall, and you need about, a, oh, an inch of water about every week or so. And other shrubs like lilacs or forsythia and herbaceous plants like peonies 
and oriental poppies may not flower or the flower poorly after a spring or summer drought. So keep that in mind. Fruit trees such as cherries and peaches may develop fewer flower buds if the drought has been severe during the time when they're forming their flower buds in the previous fall for the next year springtime when they're going to be blooming. So keep all that kind of in mind. That whole watering thing, most of the plants that, you know, and if they're plants that have been predicted or selected that are, you know, generally hardy for this region, a lot of it is, you know, the, the, the downhill decline is related to either too much moisture or not enough. So it's, I mean, I have to admire everybody that has good success with the plant material because it is really kind of tough. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open. And so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you just give us a call. And let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Uh, lo- really love the show. Hey, I got a question about fruit trees. Uh, I have not uh, gotten anything out of my uh, apple and, and uh, pear tree the last two years due to late uh, frost or freezes. Right. I have the ability to, to cover those with a tarp. They're dwarf trees. Will, th- will that help, or is it just the sheer cold that is actually killing the blooms? Yeah, it's just the sheer cold. So, okay, so if you're not getting major branches die off or something like that, something like a tarp is not going to help, and it may actually cause more problems just due to the weight of the tarp. Right, right. Yeah, I was just thinking. I mean, it's been two years since I've been able to get some fruit, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think. Uh, battling Mother Nature is not. I'm, I'm winning or I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> True. Now, so these are dwarf trees. How old are they? Uh, they're fairly uh, they're fairly old. The apple is uh, upwards of uh, fifteen years. Ooh. and the yeah, and the fruit is you know is getting smaller, but right. I still get a very high yield. And the and the uh, the pear is a little bit younger, but I get very high yield on that too. So they don't seem to and I because I keep them, I do uh, you know trim them back and and things like that. Right. I don't do any spraying, but uh, you know I do keep them trimmed back every year. So you know. But, yeah, they're probably about due for <laughs> maybe to get replaced. But it's I'm not an orchard. I'm just a backyard guy. Sure. Yeah, So, but just keep that in mind as far as the age factor goes. Because, yeah. it, you know, the dwarf and then the, you know, has the shortest lifespan, then the semi-dwarf, and then just the regular. I mean, you're looking at several years' difference in the longevity as yeah. far as production. Okay. All right, yeah. So the tarps probably, probably wouldn't make that much difference. We'll just right. have to hope for a, a little bit warmer. Uh, it's always those late frosts. That right. Get me. It seems like late, you know, late April, kind of, kind of freeze, and that seems like it does it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Absolutely. Thank right. you very much, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Now let's uh-huh. head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning. I have a question. I was gifted an orchid. It's about eighteen inches tall. It's got two stems of flowers. And I have never cared for an orchid before. Can you? I've been giving it ice cubes because I've read that they don't want the water; they want it, the moisture to soak in. Any of and keep them out of a draft. That's all I know. 
Basically, as soon as they finish, you know, the flowers are finished, just cut the flower stem off. Put them in a really good sunny location. And are these orchids in, like, potting mix or are they in bark? It looks more like a potting mix. It's very loose. Okay. It was done by, it looks like it was done by a professional florist or greenhouse or something, but right. I don't know. So, you know, as far as putting the ice cubes, you don't necessarily have to do that. You just have to, you know, kind of keep them sort of like not overly wet, especially if they had the bark, then you could just kind of put them underneath a faucet every, let's say, week or 10 days or so. Because the ones that you, you know, that you have that are in bark, they actually, in their native habitat, grow on the sides of trees. That's why they're using bark to grow them on. Uh, but, you know, ones in soil, just be careful. You want to have drainage holes in the bottom of it and just water them until the water runs down through and out the drainage holes and then set them back up on a, you know, on a saucer. But sunny locations is really extreme. And then get some orchid food, orchid fertilizer, which most year-round garden centers should have, you know, fertilizer for orchids. And then read the label as far as uh, what you want to do, how often you want to fertilize. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. And now let's go and see what's going on in James' yard. Hi, James. Sure. My pleasure. <laughs> I hear Hello, myself. sir. Hi. Hi, sorry about that. That's um, okay. I have a weeping. I have a weeping willow that the leaves fall off uh, at least a month and a half to two months before you know all, all the leaves on all the other weeping willows fall off. And I've tried fertilizing it, and it happens every year. Is that something I should? It's about five years old. Should I just cut it down and start over, or is there something else I can do? Uh, just make sure it's got plenty of moisture. It sounds like it's in a. It's in a kind of a let's say normally clay soil, which has a tendency. Mm -hmm. Even if we have a lot of. Uh, you know, rain, it will have a tendency where the water won't penetrate into the ground, and willows really need, you know, lots of moisture. Okay, so just water it a lot more, and you think it will, it will, the leaves will stay on longer? Yeah, they should, and cut back on the fertilizing. Okay, got it. you know, fertilizing, depending upon what type of fertilizer you use, as I've even talked about earlier today, certain fertilizers have nutrients that are detrimental to plant material, especially if yeah. you've done it a couple times over a you know, relatively short period of time, meaning okay. you know, once a year or whatever. Okay. So, Thank you, sir. Yep. So, like I said... I'll water it more. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't know... If, and just realize that as they get bigger and bigger, you're going to get the or have the ability to grow less and less underneath them. Okay, well, all the other ones look beautiful, and I'm sitting here with no leaves on it a month and a half before they <laughs> fall off. So I'm like, I'm frustrated because it's on the top of a hill, you know, and it's, you, everybody sees it when they come over, and it's dead. I'm like, it looks dead, but then it comes back and it dies again. You know, when it's supposed to be its most beautiful, it's just dead. And I'm like, yeah, so I'm, I'm just thinking about cutting it down. I don't know. Yeah, uh, on the top of a hill, that's going to be a drier point, too. Yeah. So that's, okay. you got to run the hose up there. And get a soaker hose and just put it around it and run it, to, you know, once a week for one or two hours. Okay. I'll try that. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Sure. Good luck with that. And if you decide you don't want to, you know, have a willow tree because of you can't really get it to go well, 
then start looking for, you know, crab apples or, you know, something along that line. And so it looks like the first hour is almost over. But uh, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just looking out right now, with this ice and snow and everything that we keep having, it's been really kind of interesting as far as some of the storms. I think it was two nights ago, or maybe it was last night. It might be two nights ago. The wind was blowing so strong, the snow was, you know, kind of just small snowflakes, but they were blowing almost parallel to the soil, to the ground. I mean, it was really amazing to think the wind was that strong. We kind of, you know, sit up on top of a hill, not a real hill, but uh, just, uh, let's say, a slope over the valley for Christie Park, and it's just kind of amazing how the wind starts coming up you know, from the southwest or from the west or from the north, and it's really, you know, totally wild and crazy. Now, this morning I woke up uh, about 3 o'clock or so, and I was kind of dry, so I needed to get something to uh, uh, to drink. But I looked out the window. Now, was there a moon out? I couldn't tell if it was a moon or not. So, like, is this uh, the time of year when... We get these huge, I mean, it was almost orange color or, you know, a deep yellow. So it kind of really caught me by surprise. If that was the moon, if it wasn't, maybe I was just dreaming and I was able to walk around in my dream. So, or sleepwalking, whatever you want to call it. So that just it completely caught me by surprise because it almost looked like it was straight west and it was huge. And I thought, uh-oh. Is that an alien? Uh, UFOs? I don't know. But it was really very interesting. So we got another hour to go. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. Thank you, Scott. And this is the KMOX Garden Hotline second hour, which opens with the tip of the trowel. A special on-air recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and I'd like to share it with you. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trowel goes out for all the road service companies, you know, the cities, you know, and the even it's just kind of amazing, you know, when we get this kind of crazy weather, the slipperiness and everything else is just um, incredible. And I know I'm not really a fan of <laughs> rock salt, but it's most effective. I mean, you can try some of these other things, but when you've got large areas to take care of, whether it's, you know, parking lots. I was in a, I was out walking the other day and I cut across a parking lot. I mean, there are huge sheets of ice and things like that, and they were applying the salt, the de-icer type salt, to get rid of it. So a tip of the trial goes out to all those companies, you know, whether they're small contractors just doing individual subdivisions or road departments. So, And thanks for inviting me into your show. We can discuss things like the best plants for a specific location, 
how to plant those, how to do the aftercare, how long you need to do worry about whether it's too dry, too wet, too this, too that. Adding pizzazz to views, whether you're looking from the inside of your home or on your deck or patio or walking in your yard. Caring for existing plants or selecting new varieties. Correct installations, proper mulching, weed and lawn care, and uh, growing plants in the ground or pots. When do you need to prune? When do you need to fertilize your annuals? How much fertilizer do herbs need? How much water do they need? Your edibles, your vegetables, your fruit trees, cool and warm season bulbs, evergreen herbaceous ground covers, best perennials, how to take care of those roses, conifers, and blah, 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 blah. And can you grow plants from seed? Solving wildlife problems. Remember my thoughts, answers, comments, and opinions are not the only garden path to take. I'm Mike Miller, KMX Garden Hotline host since its beginning in 1994. And uh, prior to uh, working at KMOX, I was discharged from the Air Force in 1974, and I stayed in Southern California where I was discharged and studied horticulture at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Came back to St. Louis for a position at the Botanical Garden, uh, four years in the English Woodland Garden, and then one year in the Climatron. Because before I left the garden, I wanted to work in the Climatron because in 1960, when I was in sixth grade in Ellisville Elementary, uh, we took a field trip. That was the first year the Climatron was open. So that whole tropical world was like, <gasps> wow, because I'd never really seen it before. So since then, I've taught classes at the Missouri Botanical Garden. I've taught classes as an instructor at the Merrimack Community College, uh, co-founded the Bug Store, and I've written five gardening books, uh, articles and magazines for local papers. And currently, Mike Miller Designs is my workplace besides KMOX. And if you'd like for me to come to your home for a plant consultation, walk and talk, check my website out, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and you can call me because my computer's down right now and I'm trying to get everything back up and going, but everything is so difficult. Anyway, so if you have any ideas, questions, concerns, or comments related to your plant world, simply call us 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, or and we can talk about it. Today's producer and very, very important, probably most important player on this team is Drew. He pushes the buttons while answering the phone calls, your phone calls, and all he needs is your first name. You put it up on the caller screen, and we'll just kind of go from there. So... 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Corey's. Hi, Corey. Hi, Mike. Hi. I got a question. We bought some uh, plants to put on our porch for the holidays. They were winter plants, and they're good for winter, but I was wondering when I should plant them. I, could, I got the card names in front of me. One's a variegated English holly. The other one's a dwarf Alberta spruce, and then I have a spreading wintergreen. And they're all, like, for this zoned area, but it's been so cold out, I don't even know when I can dig a hole to get them in the ground now. Right, because you don't want to put them in the ground when it's, you know, the ground is too cold. 
and especially if the ground is frozen because you can't really dig into that. So you're okay. just going to have to, if they're still looking good and everything else, you just kind yeah, of Yeah, they're on my front porch outside, and I've wa- watered them when it's been warmer. But. Okay. Yeah, you just want to make sure that, uh, you know, you keep them, don't let them get really too dry because when it's really cold and they're really dry, then there's air pockets around the roots even though they're still in a pot, and that's where cold air can sink and then start killing the root hairs and then lead to the decline of your plants. Okay, now, I've been keeping them watered. Okay, and the only one I would really worry about is uh, that variegated, uh, you know, holly. Okay. But uh, okay. other than other than that, uh, they all will do better in a sunny location versus uh, part shade or shade location. And also, don't plant them too close to trees because the tree mature tree roots are really going to be aggressive. And uh, new plants have a difficult time to uh, get established. Now, I've been growing Alberta spruce in a pot, probably it's a, maybe a 16-inch pot, for about 10 or 12 years. So you can, you know, actually with that one, you can keep it in a situation where you can just grow it in a pot, and then you can leave it on your porch. The other two really need to be put in the, into the ground someplace. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering when. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. 
Just do a quick search for Tecovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. Okay. Yeah, All right, so, thank you. Yeah, so sometime after Valentine's Day, it should be okay. And let's see, should we... Let's let's just go ahead and take a break. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Donna, we'll be talking to you as soon as we get back. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. Yes, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Donna's. Hi, Donna. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a question that is definitely not seasonal, but I'm trying to think spring. Um, I have a raised garden, and I bought some soil to put in it that is a garden soil. Never used any fertilizer, and it is facing the south side. Gets Seems like it gets plenty of sun. However, everything seems to go to vine as opposed to fruit. Tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, cantaloupes, it all maybe three tomato plants, and the vines are just beautiful. Um, I can grow herbs, but vegetables, not so much. So I'm not quite sure. What do you think? I, I've never fertilized, so it's not like I'm using my wrong kind of uh, uh, potassium or magnesium or whatever it is. It's just the soil, and I, I'm kind of stumped. I'm not sure what I – suggestions is what I'm looking for. Uh, basically, if – any kind of vegetable circumstance, they do need fertilizer. Oh, okay. Well, so, and you should get a fertilizer for that specific type, like you know, a tomato food. But peppers and tomatoes are cousins, so you'd be using a, you know the tomato food on your peppers as well. And they need to be you know fertilized on a routine basis. So just uh, routine meaning like monthly. Or? Yeah, probably that should be adequate. And I would, you know, since it's still early in the season, where did this soil come from? Uh, St. Louis composting down there um, in... Um, Valley Park? Yep, yep, Valley Park. That's it. Thanks. So then the soil pH and everything should be fine. So probably just a lack of fertilizer because the herbs and things like that don't need it, but uh-huh. vegetables do. So is there something organic I could use, something that's not so chemical-based? I'm always concerned about using chemicals with things that I'm going to consume. Well, like melorganite, you could use that. Melorganite? Right. Okay, that would help with the getting more vegetables and less vines? Yeah, it should be. Okay. Super. Great. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Sure. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye now. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Phone line's open. Let's head over to Homer's yard. Hi, Homer. Hey, good morning, Mike, and thanks for your service. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I have a couple of uh, what are, uh, crepe myrtles. I have one's the tree and two are the bushes. When's a good time to trim those back? The best time to do it is right after they finish flowering. Or you can do it now because it's wintertime, and since they're summer bloomers, they start setting the flower buds after the leaves come up, or after the leaf buds start emerging in the springtime. So that's the same thing with all summer bloomers. You can prune those in the wintertime. 
you can prune them right after they finish flowering as well. Mike, would that be the same as I have a couple of these hydrangea trees? I think they're limelight, uh, and I didn't trim those back yet. I was going to do them about the same time. Would that be correct? Yeah, they bloom in the summer, correct? Yes, sir. So, yeah, anything that blooms in the summertime can be pruned up until the point when the leaves start emerging. After that, they're setting flower buds, and then if you prune them, you're cutting the flower buds off. Okay. All right. Well, stay warm, and thanks for uh, everything you do, Mike. Sure. It's my pleasure. And now let's head over to Elias. Hi, Elias. Yeah, hi, Mike. I have a Luna, a Luna River, L-U-N-A River plant. All the flowers are gone, and so as the leaves. So how I can do to come every next year? Uh, basically, how long have you had this plant? Uh, like last October. I would say don't do anything. Just leave it alone and uh, watch it for you know a year or two before you do any pruning or anything at all like that. Yeah, because it's part, uh, it is in a pot uh, uh, inside the other pot, and the inside pot is plastic, has a hole in it. Right. Okay. And there is some branches, weak, tiny branches. Shall I go ahead and trim them or? I would say, no, leave them there. Leave everything there. And then once the growth begins in the springtime, if you have some twigs that are not producing any kind of foliage or anything, then you can prune those off. But at this, you know, at this juncture for the first two or three years, minimize the amount of pruning because plants get healthy by having foliage on them. And that's where the food is coming from. So moisture and nutrients from the ground mixed with the sun that the leaf captures, and that's how they get healthier and better. So I would say minimize the pruning for the first couple of years. So can I put it in east window where is uh, you know, the sun in the morning, or uh, it needs shade? Uh, no, no, no. They want to have the sun. Okay. So the more so sun, the better. they have the, the sun then? Pardon me? Uh, they do have sun or no? No, they do need it. Oh, they do need it? Okay. Then I put it on the east uh, side. It comes like about three hours every day. Yeah. More than enough, I guess. Right. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think about if you plant a grapevine in St. Louis? Will it be successful or <laughs> forget about it? No, no. I mean, it depends. Just make sure you get a variety that's hardy. Don't get one that's... Uh, you know, through the internet or something like that. So get it from a you know from a garden center that's yeah. local. But no, I mean we've got wineries and everything else, and we've got locally grown grapes. They're not going to be as spectacular as a you know as the bunches that you buy. But uh, yeah, you can grow grapes. It's going to be probably three to five years after you plant them before you're going to get any grape. Any grapes? Yeah, yeah. This was I thought. Okay. Well, thank you, Juan. Have a good day. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Diane's yard. Hi, Diane. Hi. Hi. I have a question. I have bobo hydrangeas, and they still have the dead blooms on them. When should I cut these off? You can do it any time you want. Okay. So when the weather gets warmer, but, you know, try to get it done before any kind of, you know, buds start leafing out or anything 
So get that done, and then, but we've got plenty of time for you to do it. How far back should I? Just go the to the, grant? you know, go to the bottom of where that, you know, the flower cluster is and just cut it right there and make the cut okay. at a 45 degree angle. 45 degree angle. That's, okay. that just helps expose the cambium layer and the cambium layer helps heal that over. So it's just all part of the healing process of pruning. Okay. Okay, great. And then fertilize them in the. Yeah, with an acid-based fertilizer. Acid-based. Okay, I'm writing all this down. <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. Okay, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank sure. you. Sure. Right. My Bye-bye. pleasure. And for anybody, you know, you can write it down. That's fine. I mean, that's great. And also just realize that there are podcasts of my shows that you can go back and review something if you missed it or whatever it happens to be. Let's go over to Rick's yard now. Hi, Rick. Hey, good morning. A couple quick questions. One is, uh, what's the best time for the pre-emergent to be put down? And then secondly, when's the best time to trim or prune a Chinese maple? Uh, The maples prefer to be pruned in the wintertime. So this is still winter, so you can do it, you know, now. And as far as the pre-emergent goes, the sp- for the summer bloomer and the warm season annual weeds, you're going to put the pre-emergent down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Then for the cool season wintertime annual weeds, you're going to put the pre-emergent down in August. So yellow forsythia oh, okay. for the summertime, and then for the winter, the cool season, you want to do it in mid to late August. All right. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And let's head over to Mary's. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, Mike, I got some amaryllis for Christmas, and they're blooming, but I'm wondering what am I going to do with them after they stop blooming? How do you take care of those? Uh, Just like a regular houseplant. You cut the flower stalk off, and then you're going to get some uh, foliage coming out and just treat it like a regular houseplant. And then it will come back and bloom again? Yeah, well, you're going to have to let it go through a dormant period uh, probably like in September, you cut the you know you cut the foliage off, and then okay. you know don't water it. You can take it out of the sun, and just leave it alone, and it should st- send up another flower stalk. Oh, terrific! Thank you again for everything you do, Mike. Well, Appreciate my, it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Realize that uh, if you do put a de icer out, that depending upon what kind it is, some of them can have a really detrimental impact to where it runs off. So. Just be conscious of that. The old rock salt, that's the one that does the damage. There's several different kinds that are available, and you can use, it won't necessarily melt the ice, but even using traction sand or bird seed can help you, you know, to get across the ice and minimize any kind of damage. And there are de-icers that don't, that are not the classic rock salt. The calcium chloride, they do minimal damage, but they're still going to be along the edge of any surface that you put de-icers on can have a detrimental impact. 
Let's head over to Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Hello, Mike. Hi. Thanks for your service. Um, I've got um, some mums that I cut back, um, took the um, flowering off that was dead, and uh, put them in my garage. And uh, the garage, even though it's one degree or whatever, it's been like 32 degrees. Uh, Is it, and it's, they're getting green foliage right now. Um, Should I water those or just let them be dormant or what should I do with them? Yeah, you should water them. Okay. And Um, hopefully they're in pots with drainage holes and just water it till the water runs out the bottom and then just put them back up in the, you have them up in the window? Um, no, but I usually have at the bottom of it's not really, um, that, that, um, sealed. So it, it does get a breeze inside there, but not as much as everything. And every once in a while, I'll just leave the door open. Um, so, so the, the light will come in and, and get some light. Okay. Cause um, they definitely would do better if they are getting some light. If you have a windows that you can set them in, that would even be better. Okay, um, and then just water them like I would if they were outside. Well, less than that because they're pretty dormant, and uh, okay, and no fertilizer because you only fertilize things that are in the process of either setting flower buds or in flower. Right, and then when would when it gets warm, I guess um, just repot them with some fresh soil and. Um, or put them in the ground whenever it's like April or something? Or? Yeah, you could probably do it even a little bit before that. In mid-March, you could probably plant them because the soil should be warming, you know, warming up. And if you do okay. plant them back in pots, make sure you use potting mix, not potting soil. Right, right, right. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. And let's see what's going on in Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hi, I uh, thank you, Mike, for doing your show. I love it. Listen to it for years. Um, question is, I have two amaryllis bulbs. One I've planted in garden soil. The other I've planted in a uh, just a glass with some water in it. Both are starting to shoot up now. They're just coming up. Is there ones, will the one that's in the water only be okay, or do I need to add nutrient to that water? Well, growing it in water is going to probably, ultimately, it's going to start getting some rot. Is it? Okay. So that's. So I need to take it out of that and put yeah, it in the soil. Right, exactly. Okay. So okay. the, the fact that it's still early, and uh, let's say early as far as the amount of time that it's been in the water, is yeah, probably doing yeah, okay. It's still growing. I mean, yeah. I, it, every day it's grew a little bit more. It's, right. it's very young still, but yeah, it's growing. Interesting. So they don't usually like I've seen them in water. I thought somewhere when I've seen you, you could buy them like that where they're already blooming. Right. What What's the nature of that? Well, it's just after they finish blooming, then you take them. You know, cut the flower stem and you know finish flowers off. Yeah. And then put them in a potting mix. But I mean, don't. Don't some people sell them growing in water medium, not soil? Yeah, not but really, there's going to be inst- there should be instructions telling you after they finish flowering. I see. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that's all I need to know. I'm just trying to in, trying to try both ways to see which way it work best. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Sure. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's kind of fun. 
I mean, most of the a lot of the florists will have those growing in water. It's just you know kind of spectacular, and but they still, for longevity factor, need to be in a potting mix sometime you know after the first bloom sequence. So in other words, you can't just leave it in there and have them bloom again. Let's head on now over to Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I have some boxwoods. They're like five foot tall, about four foot wide. And somebody told me before that after a real hard freeze, which uh, we've had, that I could cut them back about as far as I want to. Well, not Ooh. really. Because no. you cut them back too far, then the, the amount of foliage that's going to be available as far as being able to produce food for it is going to be minimized. That's where the trouble will come from. Okay. Well, somebody told me that I could cut them back and that the foliage would come back. Well, a lot of times if you look at some of the stems, they I mean, they're green on the outside, but if you look at, to the interior, there's not many leaves down in there. Right. And then when there's no leaves there, if you cut off every place where there's leaves, those buds, those foliage buds that are down inside that have no leaves right now, may be dysfunctional, and then they won't produce any kind of new foliage. And so consequently, then you're sort of heading it downhill. All right, so cut them back to where I could still see some leaves. Right, exactly. All right, thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Yeah, the two boxwood that I have, uh, one is protected by a mugo pine. Its foliage looks really good. The other one is kind of exposed. It's got something on the west side, but it doesn't have something on the north side or the east side. It's discoloring really pretty bad. I'm going to watch it and see what happens with it, but it's it's not looking good. And now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good. Did you walk to uh, work today in shorts? (laughs) Well, I have shorts on, but no, I whimped out and drove. Okay, okay. Hey, I got a couple questions for you. Um, so I got some uh, seedlings of uh, maple trees coming up. Uh-huh. And would it be best to put those in pots or just plant them into the, uh, in the ground? You could do. I would, if you've got several, I would try it each way. Because okay. wherever you're putting the ones that you dig up and put into a ground, you may not want them there because do you— you know which type of maple it is? Um, I think that, that they're a, a golden uh, color in the in, the, in fall. the fall. So that's probably a sugar maple. And just be really careful because, the, well, you, so you must have that tree in your landscape already. I do. I and do. So you can see how big they're going to get. So watch out about putting them too close to houses, too close to, you know, surfaces like, patios or driveways or sidewalks because their their surface rooting factor can do some damage to structural type things. Okay. Uh, the other question that I have is, is does the state provide um, like the seedlings for, for trees? I don't know if the state does. They may, but uh, there's a couple different organizations that will send you like a pack of 10 and so, like, the Conservation Department, just check that out. Okay. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Sure. You do the same thing. Thank you. We've got phone lines open, 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We have still five or six uh, minutes left, and so if you'd like to call, let's head over to Bria's yard. Hi, Bria. Hello. I have some sort of tree that lost just hundreds of little branches, about eight inches long, and the leaves, the dried leaves on them, it, they looked like they had been cut off, and the l- little leaves had like little dots on them, little raised dots, just maybe one or two. Was that some sort of pest, I take it? Uh, was this an oak tree? I Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, so, yeah, it is some kind of pest. And uh, probably, though, it's, it could be a factor. The squirrels are on there, and mm-hmm. then you've got the pest, so you've got two different things that are causing problems. Okay, and then... I bought one of these waxed amaryllis, and it hasn't quite started growing yet. I wrote to bloom makers. They said, be patient. But if it does end up blooming and growing, what do you do with that bulb afterwards? Do you know? Because it has a wax coating around it. It's not in dirt. It's just, you know, the bulb. Right. So what's going to happen is the bulb should increase in size, and that will cause the wax to peel off. Or get cracks oh. in it, so you're just going to plant it in a regular potting mix in a you know like a four or six inch pot. Okay, well, thank you very much. Have sure. a good day. Sure, my pleasure. Again, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. In uh, our neighborhood, we live in South City. Basically, we our yard front yard looks out on Christie Park. And I take walks every day through the neighborhood and just, you know, check out the plant material. And uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what this, you know, this cold snap has done because we've had a kind of an extended period. And the plant material is um, it's going to be a little bit tough on some of the things. And just realize that some of things, if you want to get out and do things in your yard, you can once – don't get out when it's this cold. It's not really worth the effort. But uh, I've seen several clumps of ornamental grasses that haven't been cut back. So they can, you know, still be cut back. And then the blades put in the, you know, for recycling, composting, or things along that line. Many things will work fine as far as becoming a compost circumstance. But some of the plant material really doesn't break down all that well. Well. And things like a helleborus, that's an evergreen perennial that blooms very early in the springtime. Uh, this is going to be a little bit tough on them. Not that they should be you know, growing or doing anything right now. They should be in hibernation. But consequently, uh, when it's this cold, it could knock them down as far as the above-ground growth. But the root system should be fine. So let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Yes, I, Mike. Hi. Yeah, uh, we planted a uh, dwarf mulberry and a persimmon, and they're probably about two foot tall, something like that. 
but uh, do we have to worry about them being uh, frozen? We co- we covered them with a tarp, but we need to know whether to open them up or just leave them kind of covered up as long as this uh, freezing weather is huh. here. You planted them last fall? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you put mulch around them? Yes. Okay, so you really don't need – you shouldn't need the tarp. Okay. All right. Okay, so we should be able to get by with that. We were hoping last year we had a bunch of stuff kind of freeze up, and so that's the reason we're kind of leery of it, I guess. Right, <laughs> and that's understandable because they don't have a whole lot of root system. But uh, if you planted them properly and put some mulch around it, that's going to be, you know, the tarp really doesn't do that much. No. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we, you know, just kind of added a little protection on that. So, anyway, I thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And let's head over now to another Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, just a quick question. In your opinion, how far should you plant a shade tree away from, like, your house? Well, I mean, different shade trees are going to be bigger. But I would say... Right. What, 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 like, like, like a maple or um, like a, a linden tree or something like that. I would say with linden, they have a tighter root system, and they're relatively slow-growing. But I wouldn't put one any closer than, uh, let's say, 20 feet. Okay. And the same with the maple, you think? Maple would be a little bit further. Okay. So with the, right. with the maple, too, if it's not only you know, up and grow, overgrowing the gutter system and you know that, but also it's like the root system— heading in that direction of your foundation. And if there's any fissures or cracks in the foundation, it could, you know, start weaseling its way into these cracks and causing problems from that standpoint. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, all right, that's all I needed. Thank you. Sure. And Linda, could you do it kind of quick? Uh, Sure. I have a crepe myrtle bush, and I just wanted to know when I should trim it. I did not trim it. Uh, but, you know, going into winter. Yeah, you got all. You got a couple months to get it pruned. You want to get it pruned before it starts pushing out any kind of foliage buds. So probably get it pruned before. Eh, it's you know not knowing what the weather's going to be like, but uh, hmm, before mid March, get it pruned before that. And then all you have to do is just kind of. Make sure that I don't know how old it is or anything else. And just if we go through an extended period, water it because that's going to be to the benefit of the crepe myrtle. I don't know how long it's been in the ground. And when people say they have crepe myrtle trees, that's just a shrub that's been pruned to become a tree. It's not really a crepe myrtle tree. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Don't freeze out there. See you next week. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.